Hello, I'm Joan. I'm a Canadian family physician who also works as a restorative medical educator, facilitator, and coach. I create spaces that rehumanize the work of healthcare. I'm creating this podcast to remind myself, as well as anyone else working in a helping profession, that when you are working and caring for your human patients, you are the other human in the room. Hey there, healthcare humans. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you knew I was inviting you personally to my upcoming workshop on Thursday, November 17th at 8 p.m. Eastern. Um, There will be links in the show notes. The topic of this workshop is about empowering reluctant patients. I don't know how many of you feel quite frustrated or um, defeated when you offer a lot of plans, you offer a lot of your own time, energy, and expertise to patients, and they don't seem to follow any of it. And um, we talk a lot on this podcast about how other people's thoughts, feelings, actions don't call us our feelings, but it does seem like a lot of us have feelings about what our patients do or don't do with our um, well-worn and good advice. This workshop is to help you let go of what is no longer in your control or responsibility, and instead give you really practical tips and tools and scripts that you can use with your patients to empower them to find their own best solutions to what they're bringing to you. I have found this hugely helpful in my own practice. I feel like I have a better connection with my patients as a result, and I'm noticing that my patients are coming to me with results that they're so happy with and we're able to celebrate together. So less time and energy for me, more results for my patients. Seems like a no-brainer, right? So if that's something of interest to you, please um, go to joanchanmd.com slash workshops to register or click the link in the show notes. I hope to see you there. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for coming back for another episode of The Other Human in the Room, My Healthcare Humans. I'm sitting here and I'm looking out the window um, and it's a very gloomy day outside. It's all rainy and gloomy and foggy. So I wonder what kind of weather it is where you are, hopefully a bit shinier and brighter than mine. Um, Having said that, the weather kind of lends itself well to the topic I'm going to talk about today. Um, It's actually Halloween, uh, the day that I'm recording this, and I thought I would do something that scares me in honor of Halloween, and actually just in general, I'm trying to practice doing things that scare me more often. And so today I'm going to confess a truth about me to all of you. I am a compulsive liar. Um, I can say that with certainty. I don't know if others would think that about me, but I know based on the experience of being me in the world, I lie a lot. I lie to my patients. I lie to my colleagues. I lie to my family, my friends. And I definitely lie to myself. Probably I'm the most frequent victim of my own lies. I am saying the word lying on purpose. In some ways, it feels like the harshest word I could say, but that's why I want to say it that way. But some other words that I would have used maybe more often in the past that describe what I'm talking about when I say I'm a liar, um, I pretend a lot. I people please a lot. I shape shift. I I used to call myself a peacekeeper. And I think there's a, a beautiful way of saying that term that has nothing to do with lying. But the version of peacekeeping I'm talking about is not saying what I think is true in a given situation in order to keep the peace. Um, another way of saying it is that I've worn many different masks in different places or that I mirror a lot. So, you know, I'm in a situation, someone says they prefer something. I don't prefer that thing, but I pretend I'm like, oh, that's great. I love that too. So, you know, that kind of thing. Does that sound familiar to anyone else? Is anyone else saying, hey, I think Joan's calling me a liar. I don't know. I don't know you. You only know yourself, right? Um, 
I wanted to give some examples of specifically how I historically and honestly continue to lie to my patients. This does feel scary. I just have to name the way I'm talking about it. It feels kind of transgressive to actually talk about this. But honestly, the thing that I've learned to be true in everything that's led me to creating this podcast today is the only way I learn how to release something that's no longer serving me in my life is to tell the truth about it. And so here I am telling you a truth that previously I potentially would have lied about or at least lied by omission, right? So examples of lying to my patients. Saying yes when I mean no. To me, that's a lie because I'm saying, yeah, sure, no problem. Yeah, for sure I'll do that for you. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to do that for you. And I don't mean any of those things. I actually want to say no to that patient for whatever reason. And instead I'm saying yes. To me, that is lying. Um, Also, there's times where I have said no to patients when I really wanted to say yes. I wanted to say yes to their request, but I felt like I shouldn't. I felt like that was against some rule or that wasn't professional or a good doctor wouldn't do that. Even though honestly in the room with that patient, it felt like I don't actually see the harm in this. Why am I not allowed to say yes to this? So then I said no instead. Um, times where I've said it's fine when it's not. Oof, that's a big one. I think of that a lot in many areas of my life where I'm like, yeah, no, it's fine. It's fine. Or I'm fine. And I don't, and I'm not. Those are lies, in my opinion. Um, promising I will fix them when I can't, telling them that I can't help them when I, I actually could, but I'm just choosing not to, telling them I know the answer when I don't, telling them that I'll always be there when I can't guarantee that I will. That's just a short list. I'm sure there are other examples. This is what I mean when I say I'm I'm lying to patients. I think I can't think of a recent example where I've like said something that maybe people more classically think of as like a blatant lie, where it's like I tell someone they have a disease that they don't have or something. So I'm not talking about those lies. I'm not going around saying, like, well, you have hypothyroidism and they like genuinely don't. I can't think of an example like that kind of lie, but these are the lies I'm talking about. The times when I'm not telling the full truth of how I'm feeling or the full truth that I see, just naming what is true for me in that situation. Instead of naming the truth, I hold it back. So either I'm lying by omission by just not saying it at all, or I'm lying by saying the opposite. For example, I'm fine when I'm not right? So I don't want this now to become a big guilt and shame thing. That's what it first came to me. When I first heard, I first heard about kind of this kind of lying when I was learning from some of my teachers about the concept of people pleasing. I had heard about people pleasing and I really identified with that as like, oh, I'm pretty conflict avoidant. And so yeah, I'll just like go along to go along. And, you know, I, I like to make people happy. So I'll, I'll tell them what they need to hear for them to be happy with me. And um, one of my teachers uh, just calls that all lying. She's like, people pleasing is lying. And when I first heard that, it was like a big ouch in my chest. So if you are hearing that and going, ouch, in your chest, I witnessed your ouch. And um, and yeah, I, I know it doesn't feel good to really face the fact that when we pretend that we're okay when we're not, when we pretend to be okay with something when we're not, when we don't set boundaries that we want to set, all that stuff, that is technically being less than fully truthful. And another way to say that is lying. But then what that did is that I put me into this whole shame spiral and I'm like, oh no, I'm actually just this horrible liar, fake pretender person. Everything in my life is a lie. And then I started beating myself up about it because I had been taught another level of inhuman story, which is that lying is bad and wrong. And I am not going to try and convince you that lying is like good in the sense of let's all like try and lie more in our lives. I don't know if you need to lie more or not in your lives, but I think 
there's something that we need to know about why we lie, why we pretend, why we shapeshift, peacekeep, like all those words I said before, why we stop ourselves from telling the truth. And it's not because we're bad people. That's inhuman. That's the inhuman story where we are caught in a lie and then punished for lying. Because what I have learned is that lying is, first of all, kind of a natural part of learning. And I'm going to talk a bit about that, especially when we're young. And then as we get kind of more intentional about our lies, it is a really powerful survival strategy that we have used to navigate this world that did not want to hear our truth. Okay? So this first part of the podcast, I really want to be focused on unshaming the fact that you, like me, may have lied a lot in your life, may have pretended a lot, may have shown up in fake or false or masked ways, because it is not helpful to to discover that you've lied all your life and then turn that into a story that you're going to use to make yourself feel worse. First of all, because trust me, that doesn't make you lie less. And also, it's just not true that you're bad because you lie, okay? So what is lying actually? What is the truth about why we lie? So the first thing that I've really discovered in my own life through my two kids, I have these two adorable little children, two-year-old and four-year-old, and I've noticed that as they've aged, they've gone through these developmental stages that involve lying in the sense that they're not saying something that is true. Like, you're like, you know, I'll say, oh, Felix, did you spill the water? And he's like, no. And he's like, literally, (laughs) I like, I watched him spill the water. (laughs) But he's like, no. I think there's a couple things going on there. So one thing, especially when we're talking about little kids, is like lying to just even understand what is real, like what is real and what is fake what is true and what is false. Like they don't even like, can I fly or can I not? I'm going to jump a few times to try. Nope. Apparently I can't fly. And so the same thing with like lying where it's like, can I say that something didn't happen and that will make it as if it didn't happen, right? Like they're kind of learning, are my words magical? And can I erase the past by saying something has happened when it hasn't? you know, and like, it's part of like imagination. Like, I don't think we really hopefully do much like shaming of, well, let's try not to shame children in general, but even historically, like say someone's like, I have an imaginary friend, you know, they're a little kiddo and they're like, you know, I have, well, they don't say I have an imaginary friend. They're like, this is my friend, Bob, and he's a cat and he flies and, you know, they're pointing at the air. You're not like, that's a lie, right? It's their imagination. It's them exploring what's real and what's not. If I say something, does that make it true? right? And so there's this actually like really beautiful, not sinful, not evil thing that children do that sometimes we qualify as lying and sometimes we qualify as imagination. And what if it's all actually just imagination to start with, okay? And then beyond that, there is a point where I think we do learn to intentionally lie, where we know inside ourselves, okay, I know I broke the lamp, And I know last time I broke something, my parent got super mad at me or punished me or hurt me or or shamed me or whatever. So I am not, definitely not going to confess to breaking this lamp, even though I'm well aware I did it. And so it doesn't matter how often they tell me I'm going to confess. Why on earth would I confess to something that I know will cause me harm? And this is where we start to see lying as a really smart survival strategy. When I am punished for something and then I still do that something either because it like truly was an accident and I'm a human who has, who, you know, accidents happen, or I'm a human who wants to do things that other people think I shouldn't. Of course, I'm going to pretend I didn't do it so that I don't get punished. Like, I don't think it's the most logical thing to do. But then, of course, we get punished for lying. And it hurts also over time to continue to try and remember, oh, yeah, did I confess to this lie or that lie? And over time, we just learn 
unfortunately, the deeply inhuman story that it's not okay to be honest about who we are. It's not okay to be honest about what we want. Don't be too hungry. Don't be too loud. Don't want too much. Don't take up too much space in the world. Don't say no when I want you to say yes. Don't be rude when I want you to be nice. All these ways that we're we're treated as we grow up where we're, we're taught how to form ourselves into what is an acceptable box for society. And especially if we are, you know, a, a marginalized group in some way, especially if we're a group that is considered below others in an unfair, patriarchal, oppressive, supremacist society. So like as a woman, you know, it's not okay to be mad, for example. Being mad means something bad about me. So at first I'll just say, I'm fine when I'm mad, but I'll be mad on the inside. But that hurts. It hurts to be mad on the inside. So then the last stage is where we start really lying to ourselves, where we start saying, stop being silly. You're not mad. Don't be mad. Stop being mad. What's wrong with you for being mad? And we start internalizing the punishment that we receive from others and pushing down and suppressing our own truth about, for example, if we're mad when we're mad. We push it down in a corner and lie to ourselves and say, you're not mad. I'm not mad. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. So does that sound familiar to anyone? My like heart feels heavy even like describing the process that leads you to a place where now you just feel like you're lying to everyone and you can't be real. And it's because you were taught that it wasn't okay to be fully real. There's a version of this that's a trauma response. And um, I don't know, someone's going to figure out in the future exactly how much of all of this is trauma response or not, right? So like, if you've heard of different kinds of trauma responses, most people have heard of like, fight or flight. So like, something feels threatening to you and you either get primed, you know, maybe your default response is to run away from the aggressor or you're going to fight the aggressor. But then sometimes neither of those things actually are possible. Like you're much smaller than the aggressor and you can't run fast enough and you can't fight hard enough. They're going to get you. And so then the third uh, trauma response is freeze where you just freeze up, but there's like a version beyond freeze or adjacent to freeze, where you fawn, you know, fight, flight, freeze, and then fawn as an F-A-W-N. Like, um, you know, when you're fawning all over someone, if you've heard of that word, like you're just like giving them tons of praise and you're lavishing them with like compliments and kindness. And this is when I heard about that as like truly a trauma response, I just recognized it as like a very common survival and safety mechanism I have built up in myself, where when I am in a room with someone who I think will punish me for if I'm like make a mistake or be myself or just am like a human in the world, one of my default ways is to try and please them and fawn over them. And all of that is coming from a really beautiful survival place, but none of it is like what I would want to be doing. And that's why it's a lie. That's why it's not authentic to who I really am you know, in an ideal world, this person wouldn't be a threat to me. And then we could just both be like humans in a room, right? <laughs> we would just like both be human beings. And they'd be like, I don't like pepperoni. I'd be like, I do. And then like, no one would be mad at each other. I don't know why pepperoni came to my mind as an example, but just to say like, so this fawn response explains why, like, this is like kind of a biological mechanism that many, many, many of us have developed that, I mean, keeps us from the truth of ourselves, keeps us from telling the truth to others, but is not inherently evil. It's actually quite powerful. Lying and all the things that we, if you don't like lying, you can use people pleasing or pretending or whatever, but I'm going to keep saying lying because it feels the most true, ironically. Lying is actually a really powerful way to take back power and control when you are raised in a system that punishes you for being honest and authentic. And I want to just name beyond that, like I've really sat with times when I have lied and I used to feel so much shame about them, but I've learned this process where I kind of like dive into 
um, I like kind of try and call up for myself the, the physical experience of what it feels like when I'm doing the thing that I'm ashamed that I do. And so I did that with lying. So I was like, okay, body, okay, brain, like what does it really feel like inside of myself when I am lying? And what I discovered is it feels powerful. It feels good. It feels good to do what you want and not get punished for it. I, I Maybe this sounds so obvious, but there's so much shame and so much like punishment and criticism around lying that we never stop to think about why we lie and we lie for good reason. So say you are a person that got shamed your whole life for eating. You over, you're told you're eating too much. You're told you were too hungry and something like that. So now you hide when you're hungry and you eat in secret, right? Like, and then you lie about eating to others who would punish you for lying. There's something that feels so good about that. That's, I think when we talk about like guilty pleasures, I think it's kind of connected to that somehow, but just to say, of course it feels good to do what you want. Our bodies are primed for pleasure and we are, we are always wanting to do what we want to do. It seems so basic, but we are often told that it's not okay to do what we want to do. So instead, a lot of us learn to do what we want to do and then lie about it instead. I think I may have belabored this point a little too much, but I am almost done. I just want to say, basically, the thesis of what I'm saying is lying is a power move in a society that punishes you for being yourself. It allows you to be yourself in a way that doesn't get you punished. It makes sense. It is not you or your follower because you're like an evil person. Really, the problem is a society that told you you couldn't be yourself to begin with. If everyone was actually just fine with people being people and not punishing people for just like being humans and having desires and wants and needs and not shaming people for having those things, then people would do what they want to do. Other people could, you know, set boundaries and say, oh, I don't want to do that with you. And then it'd be like, okay, but there would, no one would feel the need to hide it from each other. It'd be like, you go do you, man. I'll go do me. Right? What a wild version of society that would be. So the shadow side of lying, it is obvious, but now is the time to name it. Now that it's like, okay, so maybe it is, it is totally fine to admit that I lie a lot because I am taking back the power that I have experienced because I've lied. I have gotten through many spaces. I have survived many grueling things like hello medical school. You think you can't I would be curious what would happen to a student who was completely blatantly honest about everything that was not okay about what they were experienced as they went through medical training, for example. Okay, so I got through medical training telling a whole bunch of lies, pretending to be a whole bunch of people that I really wasn't, pretending to be okay with things that were really not okay. I can be furious at the system that created the circumstances in which I did that lying, and I can actually if anything, to celebrate myself for getting through. And now here I am, a full-fledged adult, physician for almost 10 years. I recognize the harm that continuing to operate in the survival system does in my life. And this is the ultimate fallout of lying, is it breaks trust and connection with others and ultimately with myself. And this is what's been true anyway. Every time I've lied, it has pointed me closer to my truth because your true self underneath, your body underneath never forgets. I'm starting to think that's like kind of a way to to view burnout. Basically burnout is your body finally like giving up and trying to prop up the weight of all the inhuman lies that you've swallowed and felt compelled to perpetuate like in the world. So it's like, Okay, you seem to think that you have to work 24 hours a day and give everyone what they want and never take a minute for yourself. And you like think those are all things that are like true about yourself and that you actually want in your life. Enough. I am burning you out. And so then your body starts to be like, no. And then you feel like all of these horrible sensations because your body's like, that's enough. Right? So your body will let you know 
if you have broken trust in it and it will start to shut down in the process. So if we know the negative impact of lying is loss of trust, and as a reminder, the reason we lie is because we've been conditioned not to trust ourselves. Of course, we don't trust ourselves when we are punished for being ourselves, right? We just went through all of that. So that is the healing human reason to start telling the truth. It's not because lying makes you a bad person or you're bad because you lie. And so if you want to be a good person, you better start telling the truth. No. You are a good person. You have always been a good person trying to survive in a very not good world. Okay? So the reason to start telling the truth is for you to foster that trust in yourself that never should have been broken. Okay? And a beautiful thing I see unfolding in in my life is as I start to tell the truth to myself, about myself, and to others, I am actually starting to find new levels of connection and trust with other humans as well, which is something all of us crave so deeply. We are wired and and designed for connection with others. But when we have to pretend all the time, we can't connect because we can't be our authentic selves. So even if they like us, they like a fake version of us, right? So there is so much richness in telling the truth. But I think it's very important to spend all that time. I'm looking, I've spent 24 minutes really just talking about why it It's ultimately okay that we learn to lie. So I want to give you um, some examples of ways I used to lie to my patients and ways that I am practicing telling the truth instead. So the first example I want to give is saying yes when I mean no, which I AKA people pleasing, not having boundaries, you know, all the names that we give to this particular phenomenon, you know, fawning, all the things, right? So, and sort of just a specific example to make it concrete, test ordering. Test ordering is a place where I'm still like untangling my people pleasing and even just learning to trust myself of like, okay, if I'm really, you know, sitting in like a competent, confident clinician place, do, do I want to order this test for this patient? Yes or no. They want me to order it. Do I want to order it? What are my reasons? Do I like my reasons? So I'm still untangling that. In the past, I used to order a lot of tests because the patient asked for it. Um, thinking, what's the harm? It's okay. And I'm not shaming myself for doing that because it's not helpful to shame yourself for anything. And I noticed that there were cases where this really backfired And that's actually how I've really learned over time. Oh, okay. This is the kind of situation where ordering the test is is lying. We're saying yes to the test is lying. And it's the cases where I haven't taken the time to explain what the test could and couldn't tell us. And so then when the result comes back, they're still disappointed, which ironically is what I was trying to avoid up front by ordering the test without the discussion because I was worried about being too confrontational. So, I mean, the classic is, a person with low back pain that they want the MRI, right? And there are some cases where certain kinds of back pain, doing an MRI can be useful because it leads to different actions. It leads to surgical referral. There are times where, and I think there's more nuanced answers than that, but in any case, like there are times where someone's come in and when I hear their story, just like my gut, my wisdom, my gut, my training and experience are all telling me, it's a no to the MRI. And so before I'd maybe still order the MRI anyway, or I'd say no and feel all anxious. But now, and I, I would do that because I'd want them to be happy with me, right? So I'd say yes when I meant no. But now I I really have begun to practice being the guardian and authority of my own emotional experience. So I can hold a much cleaner and more powerful space for my patients to feel all their feelings with me as I say no to them. So as a result, they're more likely to still feel seen and heard and walk away, if not happy, at least satisfied, or if not satisfied, at least feeling more understood with the, like through that encounter, even if I actually don't give them what they want. So for example, like kind of just giving an example of what I could say. So I hear you really want an MRI for your back. Tell me more. Like it's a lot of asking questions. Why do you want the test? What are you hoping it will help us with? 
And it's usually, I'm hoping it'll help me feel better. I'm hoping it'll find the answer. And then that's an opportunity for me to say, you know, in my understanding, based on my training and also working with a ton of patients, this kind of back pain, you know, I've examined your back, I've put my hands on your back, I've heard your story, and I don't think the MRI is going to get us where we want to go. Usually I only do MRIs if I think someone's back pain is so bad that it's going to need surgery. And Thankfully, I don't think your back pain actually fits that description. And so going for a test when you don't need it, I don't think it's a good idea. And then they can have their feelings about it. They can say, I just want it. I want the answer. You know, sometimes it takes people a long time to really listen and understand and learn something that you're teaching them. That's just true of the world, right? But I can show up in a way once I've really uncovered, this is a true no for me. And I don't have to lie anymore and say yes and order a test I didn't want to order. It's got a lot of good benefits. I'm saving the healthcare system dollars, da, da, da. But actually, all those other reasons can kind of be shamey, guilty reasons to say no to a test. And so I've been very delighted to discover it can be as simple as I trust my own clinical gut. And I trust the, my training and the experiences I've had with other patients. And those can be my foundation for saying yes or no to this test and doing so honestly. It's still a process I'm uncovering, but it's been so powerful. Another example is pretending to know the answer when I don't. I feel a little shiver of embarrassment for saying that one out loud, but it's true. I mean, I think all of us can think of examples, certainly in school, where we've pretended to know the answer and we don't, and you just hope they wouldn't ask any follow-up questions. They're like, oh, have you heard of that study? Uh-huh. Yeah. Please don't ask me a follow-up question. I don't know the study. I'm just trying to please you, you know, preceptor. And I think then that just gets downloaded to now we have these patients and there's times where our patients are like, okay, but like, what's even the, what's even the evidence? That doesn't sound right. I saw this YouTube video that said X, Y, Z, or what do you think it is? I, I need to know what it is. Can't can you tell me, do you think it's bad? Do you think it's really bad? You know, and they're coming in with all their beautiful and understandable and anxiety and, and fears about what it could be. And, but it's to us, it starts feeling like they're giving us an oral exam, right? And it's not, you know. Any patients who are listening to this, you keep showing up exactly as you are. You're doing nothing wrong. The whole purpose of this podcast is to coach all of the people that you're bringing your problems to as practitioners so that we can show, you know, hold space for you and pepper us with questions, right? And so now when I have someone who's peppering me with questions, like there was one recently where like truly I would ask a question, they would half answer it and then immediately say like, but do you think it's this? Like I actually... I couldn't, my brain felt like it was spaghetti all mushed together. Cause like, I couldn't even get clear on what was happening because they wouldn't, they were so anxious about what it could be that it was blocking them from describing like what was happening, like what the symptoms were. And so it's like now before I would actually kind of get caught up in that because I would be in, you know, I'm in an exam mode. I have to answer the question. I'm on jeopardy. Ding. What is infection or whatever. Right. But now I can tell when that's happening. And so I can just plant my feet in the power of the truth of the situation and say, I know you have a lot of questions. I sense, are you really worried? Like, are you, are you feeling really afraid or worried about what it could be? You know, I need to understand the problem better before I can answer any of these questions. The truth is right now, I have no idea because I don't actually know what the problem is. Can you help me understand it better? The power of saying, I don't know. I had another patient who I've seen several times for this very specific concern that I really do not know. I don't, I, I, I believe them that it's happening to them. I believe that it's causing them suffering. I've done various tests. I've thought about it and I genuinely have no idea. And I have been trying to answer their questions. Do you think it's this? And I, before I'd be like doing the lying thing where I'm like, it could be that maybe we should order that test. I think, I think you might be right. It could be this, but underneath I'm like, I genuinely have no idea. I don't think it's any of those things. I'm just trying to buy time by doing more tests. I wonder if anyone can relate to that whole idea. Um, and so the last time I saw this patient, I just said, you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know. I do not know what's going on. I'm committed to helping 
you know, walking with you as we figure it out. I want to try this, try that. I have some ideas. Sounds like you have some ideas, but right now I don't know. And I thought they would be mad at me because of the way they were like peppering me, but they actually relaxed a lot. It was fascinating. They relaxed. They're like, okay, you don't know. And it's almost like, I think sometimes patients think we are holding back answers from them. And historically that was true. Like physicians used to like not tell patients anything. Right. And so like patients have a right to not have full trust in us yet because historically our healthcare system has not been great at being trustworthy, but there's something very powerful and trust building about saying, I don't know when you truly don't. And if nothing else, whether it creates trust or breaks trust, it allows me to create a further bond of trust with myself, with just trusting that I really don't know when I don't. I don't have the answer in my brain. I just don't. It's not in there. So I'm going to say it out loud. And the thing that's fascinating is usually when you release the like pressure of needing to know, now you can open your brain up to curiosity and get curious about like, I don't know what it is right now, but I wonder if it could be this. I wonder what our next step is. And now you're kind of in a curiosity mode where you don't feel any pressure to know anything other than you need to know. And um, it's such a more honest place and it actually helps you access more of that curiosity and creativity that can help you and the patient together find the answer, the answer as it is being discovered, right? Example three, saying no problem, it's fine when I don't feel that way. Anyone have that particular social construct or social habit? I mean, I think I do this so many places in my life. Oh my goodness. And so, you know, in, in terms of in healthcare and with patients, so, you know, someone tacking on several issues at the end of our time. Oh, do you actually, I just had like five more things I wanted to talk about and you review them and none of them urgent. And what do you do with that? And so if you're like, oh yeah, no problem. It's fine. Let's just do them all really quick. You know, there's a certain tone in your voice that you just know you're just like not being full true. And it's like, oh yeah, it's fine. It's fine. And you're kind of up here. That's a good signal. You're lying, right? Or, you know, they've arrived very late or they haven't brought the forms that they needed to bring for this to be a productive visit or whatever it is, right? Or even something more serious, like saying something abusive or inappropriate to myself or my staff. Like if I'm like, no, 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 it's fine. Oh, I know you're having a hard day. It's fine. I haven't then been trustworthy to myself. In that last example, I'm also breaking trust with my staff if I don't address what's happening. And I can do it in a way that doesn't shame or punish or berate the patient at all about the impact that their actions have had on me. I can like both take the time to understand and validate and acknowledge their side of the story of you know, why those actions, why they took those actions that caused something that was not fine with me. And then I can also acknowledge the impact of their actions on me in a way that still creates safety and actually creates more trust between us. So here's some of the ways that it sounds, practically speaking. Okay. It sounds like you have a lot more concerns to today. And unfortunately we're out of time. Can you book, can you book on the way out? And if they say, oh no, I just wanted to get them done now. I hear you, but actually we're out of time and I have other patients waiting. Um, I took a quick look at that list and these are things that I feel confident we can wait a few weeks. I hear that you want to complete them today, but it's no for me. So can you please book on your way out? So I'm hearing that they want it and I'm saying no. I actually, in that case, it's, you know, it's fine that they've requested it. It's if they continued to insist, it's like, okay, you're insisting, but I'm going to leave the room or whatever. So this is some of that boundary work we're doing, right? Um, another one, an example being um, the patient is uh, was late. Ugh, it sucks when you sleep in and have to run out the door in a panic. We'll have to keep our visit focused today since we both have less time than was originally booked, right? And say this is a pattern and say I am aware that they... Um, they are capable of showing up on time for other things. Like they give me examples in their life of them showing up on time for other things, but they're frequently no showing or not showing up time for me. Then it would go beyond that. I would say, and notice there's a pattern here where you're not showing up um, at our scheduled time for the visit. Can you tell me more about that? Are there barriers that are keeping you from showing up on time? 
what can we problem solve together? Do you need a later time in the day? Like what would work better for you that allows you to honor my time and for me to honor yours, right? So that kind of, you see how like none of this is like me screaming at the patient, but is also just acknowledging that there is a problem to be solved between us, you know? Um, and then the sim- similar. So I hear how stressed you've been and how overwhelmed you were when booking this appointment. And it's not okay for my staff to be treated that way. Some of the words that you use were not okay. Those words are harmful and um, abusive. And it's not okay for my staff or me to be treated that way. I understand you were really upset when you said them. So what are some strategies we can consider to help ease the pressure for you emotionally in a similar situation if a similar situation happens in the future? So again, it's total, you don't, they don't have to be the bad guy and you don't have to be the bad guy. Do you see how this works when you just start showing up in ways that are truth-telling and put the problem where it really belongs in the middle? Okay, last example, example number four, false promises. So I am lying to my patients. If I say, yeah, don't worry, I'm going to I'm gonna find the solution to this. Uh, I promise we're going to, I promise that we are going to find a cure for your chronic pain. I mean, can I promise that, right? Like, how can I know that? Um, I can still say with a lot of confidence, I am going to walk with you. And each visit, we're going to unpack what's going on here behind this chronic pain. I have lots of options that we can try with you. But promising that I'm going to take away a symptom for them is not something that is useful because it's not the truth. I don't know what their experience is going to be in the future, right? Um, prognosis stuff. So like saying anything with certainty, like, oh yeah, for sure, you are going to be well enough to be back at work in a month. No, we don't have to do that. And, and it's a lie when we do, right? Promising that I will be there for them whenever they need. No, because I am not going to be there at one in the morning. I am not, there's, I also don't know, like, what if I get sick? Like, I can't promise that I will always be there for my patients. I can say I am committed to walking with you through this illness um, as long as I can. Like, you know, there's ways you can say it where you're still saying what you mean, but you don't promise to be there all the time. Promising to fix them. Another big one, promise the outcome of a treatment, especially when the science is changing. The the worst example I always think about is um, how painful it was to have conversations with patients about COVID vaccines as the science was like, changing because I felt this like compulsion to be like patients were had so much uncertainty and that's what's going on when patients want us to promise things is they're afraid of the future and they want us to promise their future is certain it makes total sense and it doesn't mean that it's a good idea to promise some things that you can't promise them because it definitely breaks breaks trust later and it also in that moment like breaks trust with themselves so with like the COVID vaccine example like you know, is this going to mean I can, that I'll never catch COVID again? I mean, the answer is no. And I felt so much like compulsion to be like, yes, because we were supposed to, you know, really be promoting these vaccines. And I really, and I, listen, I, I, I believe and witness the science showing that vaccines are effective, but what we mean by effective is different than what our patients sometimes think it means. They think it means it'll never get sick. It means, 100% guarantee, right? With any medicine, it's like, okay, so if we take this medication, it's going to cure this problem, right? And the truth is we never know that. We never know that to be true. We never know if a medicine will cure a problem. We know some medicines are very powerful and effective and have high chance, but always talking in risk versus certainty. Sometimes we feel uncomfortable doing this because our patients feel uncomfortable with it. But that's why I'm saying the more that I create I practice valuing and creating confidence in what I do know and what I can offer. And I get more comfortable with the uncertainty inside myself and offer myself the care I need about what feels hard, that medicine is an uncertain art that we're practicing. Then I can hold space for their anxieties of the unknown and not try and collapse that anxiety by overpromising what I can't know to be true, right? So here's some ways that those can sound. I hear you're really worried about side effects. The truth is we won't know until we try. I do know that I have had many patients with similar conditions feel better 
in these ways using this treatment, and some have had these side effects, though most were temporary. Some of them, there actually were too much and they had to stop. So those are just, that's, I'm just sharing my experience. And then I ask, are you willing to give it a try? And then explore the answer with them, right? Like that doesn't take the power out of what the medication can do to just speak honestly about it, right? I am not a fortune teller. This one I say a lot. Like literally these are some scripts I say. This one's sort of about prognosis. I am not a fortune teller. I wish I could be certain about the future, but I've been wrong too many times in the past and have learned that all I can offer is an experienced and educated guess. Most patients I have seen recover in this time frame. Here are the ways that will increase your chances of recovering well. See how I can still say things that will imbue confidence in my expertise and offer them you know, a foundation and something to kind of land on, but I'm being honest about it. That creates more trust. And that trust, by the way, is the most therapeutic quality we can offer our patients. That is often a piece, a big key piece of getting well is having that trust in yourself and having others be trustworthy towards you. Last uh, script is, um, I was thinking is probably how I would say it now. So say there was like a brand new COVID treatment on the market or some new medication. This is how I'd say it now. This is a brand new treatment. You're right. We can't know exactly how it's going to turn out. We know that the science so far says it helps in these ways and has these side effects. It is always your choice. And then often I just leave it at that. And if they want me, they're like, I just want you to tell me it's going to be okay. I'm getting increasingly comfortably saying, what I will and will not say. Like, I just, I want you to tell me it's going to be okay. Well, tell me what okay would look like for you. I'd actually need to ask them a few more questions, but it's like, I just want you to tell me that this vaccine will mean I'm never going to catch COVID again. I can't tell you that. And if that means they walk away without the vaccine, to me, long-term, continuing to foster that trust with that patient means eventually they will be a yes when it's on their terms and, and with their values. But lying to them now It's just, and I'm just saying the ways that I'm showing up with truth telling. I'm not saying that you have to show up in these, in these same ways, but I'm telling you, it feels so much better. And over time, I'm seeing the power of building that trust with my patients. So what does it take to start telling the truth more consistently? For me, it has been an intentional practice of self-trust and really grounding myself in my own ability to create safety for myself. And it just started just getting honest with myself still, you know, pretending and lying and people pleasing everyone else. But a lot of like the self-reflection tools that I've shared with you and that I use in my coaching and my teaching, as well as like all the therapy and coaching that I've received myself, that have, they've all been ways to facilitate me really understanding myself and understanding the truth of myself and where I've been lying to myself. And that has allowed me to accept myself for who I am right now, including all the ways I am still lying. Okay. I used to think, um, by the way, that when you get to this stage and you're facing the facts that you have lied and continue to lie and you've lied to people in your life, that you would, you, you definitely have to like confess all your lies to other people. But I noticed that sometimes when I do that, I would do it because I didn't want to sit with the discomfort of just like witnessing the fact of my lying. And really what was happening is I had an expectation that they would offer me forgiveness and absolution so that um, I would feel better about myself. But that was still a way of delegating my power to other people instead of owning it for myself, right? I was waiting for their forgiveness to feel okay with myself. But instead, I'm just like slowly and lovingly practicing saying the truth out loud to myself as often as I feel safe to do so. And like, practicing feeling okay doing that for myself, holding myself with compassion for all the places I don't feel safe telling the full truth yet, right? If there's a lie that I have told um, and it's revealed to someone I love and they share how that lie has harmed them, because like I said, telling lies and if those lies are discovered, especially they do really break that connection and trust with other people. I can hold myself and them with compassion and offer amends where possible. It doesn't have to mean I make myself into a horrible person deserving of punishment. Because guess what I do when I think I'm a horrible person deserving of punishment? I lie a lot more, right? So my dear humans in healthcare, where have you been hiding the truth from yourself, 
from your workplace, from your patients. Understanding you've been doing that because you've learned it's safer than telling the truth. You did it for a really powerful reason. It actually shows the power of your survival savvy that you have lied in all these creative ways. And you are now at a place where you're open to creating more trust in yourself and your true self and who you really are and showing up in the world in a way that is more truthful, is more authentic to who you are. So starting with one thing, what is one truth you can start practicing telling yourself first and then others? Because there is wisdom in the saying, the truth shall set you free, right? So do you want to start saying, honestly, I don't know. Do you want to start saying, I don't like that? Do you want to start saying, I don't want that? Or I do want that. Start saying, that's not my priority. That's not aligned with my values. Whatever it is, whatever the thing is that is truer than what you're saying now, truer than the yes when it's a no, truer than the it's fine when it's not. What if it's just speaking out and saying, I'm actually not okay. What if that's the truth you want to start saying to yourself and then to others? I'm here cheering for you. Reach out to me. If you need to practicing your truth to someone, know that if you say it to me through Instagram or coaching or whatever way you do it, I will hold so much compassionate space for you and cheer you on in doing it. And that's something we can offer each other and create a more trustworthy, trusting, connected community together. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. I feel like this was a long one, but I appreciate you listening and witnessing my truth, and I would love to do the same for you. Take care. I would love to hear from you. Please share your human moments in medicine with me on Instagram at joanchanmd or on my website, joanchanmd.com. On my website, you can also find other restorative medical education offerings I have, including one-on-one coaching opportunities and skill building workshops. I look forward to connecting with you there.